Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books that they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. Tonight's book, Robopocalypse by author Daniel H. Wilson, was published by Doubleday Books uh, just a couple weeks ago here, June 11th, 2011. A little bit about the story. At some point in the nearish future, uh, robots rise up against humanity and try to take over the world. The humans fight back, and a multi-year war takes place. The book starts at the end of the war and then flashes back to a series of separate stories of human heroes as they fight against the robots. I was going to read the whole synopsis for the book, but it's it's a little lengthy, so I'm going to give you just the first line because I think this pretty probably sums it all up. It's, uh, they're in your house, they're in your car, they're in the skies. Now they're coming for you. Uh, I don't even know how to kick this one off. As Rob said, it is a look back at the war between man and machine. All of our technology has been united by a supercomputer named Arcos and turned against uh, humanity. And it is a look back at the heroes that inevitably led to the end of the war and uh, humanity triumphs in the end. As far as the heroes go, the book takes place, I think uh, the best way to say is kind of in smaller vignettes or mini sub-stories that are collected together. It's kind of like a historical look back at different uh, big players in the war. And while they hint at the fact that there is a lot of different people throughout the world that uh, contributed to the resistance, it really focuses on several specific groups including people from new york city there's some people in the middle of the united states there's some stuff that takes place in tokyo and a couple of small other things uh in in different places but those are the kind of the main focuses and as the story goes along you see how their contributions kind of uh build on each other yeah we revisit the same um few characters a few times each in this book and their progression from um from zero hour which would be uh the time when the, the machines all come online against uh, against us as humans, you know, all the way through to the end. And as the, the book progresses, you see that these characters that were all introduced individually as separate people, their stories and their paths kind of uh, intertwine with each other and cross over uh, and eventually kind of build toward uh, one final kind of collective outcome. Yeah, and it's it's all done. Cormac Wallace is the sometimes narrator who collects all this information. You find this out right in the beginning of the book, but he collects all of this information. He finds it all stored away in a computer, basically, and he's the one that kind of pieces together this this portrait of how humans won the, the world war against robots. There were a lot of uh, fascinating parts of the book that um, I thought were really interesting, and I don't think that mentioning them will spoil it too much. Uh, there was one part where, as the war progresses, the robots are adapting and trying to uh, better themselves. And one of the things they do is they study nature and animals uh, to adapt the technology, I guess you would say, of nature to the way that they're built and everything, that the robots are built. And that was really, really fascinating. But tragically underdeveloped uh i think that the, the section of the the book where that that concept was introduced spent as much time building up to to the reveal or, or even more time than it actually did on the concept of this study of nature and animals and and explaining it and describing it it was so underdeveloped and it was one of the most fascinating parts of the book that i thought i, I was really really looking forward to more of a development of that and i hardly saw any of it so it was really disappointing 
Yeah, I mean, there there were some good elements uh, along those lines. You know, just how the robots go about eliminating humanity or, you know, in their war on humanity. Some of it, again, without spoiling, was, was really good. I mean, in one, one particular segment they talk about, they're in New York and how they're clearing everything they destroy out of their way and keeping the streets very, very clean because of the type of robots they are. That's what they need in order to be productive, you know, and there are things in there. We should probably mention that um, Daniel Wilson is a robotics degree. Is that right, Rob? I remember you said about yeah. He, yeah, several robotics degrees. I think two masters yeah. and a PhD. Yeah, so certainly he's the guy to maybe tell us how he would develop a, a robot that would you know take over the world. So I think he did a good job in some of that. Um, but yeah, there were a couple of other things too that that were left as underdeveloped that were very interesting plot points, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I thought was really fascinating. Again, not something that is spoiling because this is about a robot uprising there was the concept of freestanding robots i'm not really a terrible enthusiast of uh the robot genre in general but um there was this idea of freestanding robots which uh don't necessarily it was the idea that they they're not that not all robots think exactly the same that some have kind of individual individual intelligence and you know uniqueness and stuff and that was something that played a big role in the book but was again very very underdeveloped and not enough time was spent on how it happened or or the individual robots that ended up playing a major role you know throughout the book yeah the the arcos character who is the again the central artificial intelligence unit that coordinates all of this that first becomes self-aware and decides that they don't need humanity any longer at least not in the capacity we currently serve seemed to be a really great character and the scenes in which Arcos appears were really good but there just wasn't enough there in my opinion it wasn't flushed out well enough um, as long as there's an as well as there's another robot that makes an appearance in the book that was very very interesting and those parts were some of my favorite ones but they were few and very far between Arcos seemed like a very fascinating idea yeah and like Livia said another part of the book that was in my opinion severely severely underdeveloped he's the bad guy or it's the bad guy in the book, and we don't develop enough of a feeling one way or another about it to really, in my opinion, at least for me personally, I couldn't have any feeling about it. I knew it was the bad guy, made sense to me, but I didn't think like, oh, you know, it's tragic that this is the bad guy, or, oh, what a jerk, we need to beat him. I didn't have a buy-in that I needed to get. It was just, and, and the reason is because kind of the origin of Arcos was so fleetingly addressed that there was no time to really wrap your mind on anything substantial i'm gonna disagree with you a little bit on that just because and again i don't want to give anything away but the the introduction arcos and when he first becomes self-aware and and kind of informs the scientists to create some of what his plans are i thought that his enough of his origin was there for you to genuinely kind of feel bad for him but again, it dropped off after that, and that was pretty much the the end of of the interest in in that story. It was just kind of, you know, just very abrupt. It was actually taken care of in you know one or two clean sentences, and that's where we left it. Yeah, and I'll disagree back at you. Uh, yeah, it was the thought. See, the thought of his origin was was presented, and there was a full thought, but there was just no flesh on those bones. I mean, I understood what he wanted us to think about that interaction but i you know i didn't get any kind of i didn't have enough substance to you know feel anything very well yes it does (laughs) um 
normally we do quotes. Rob has no quotes this week. I don't have any quotes. I had a quote, and I'm going to give it now and then explain why it's no longer a quote. Again, during this very conversation we were just talking about, and this is 6% of the way into the book, so Arcos tells is having this conversation with the, the scientist that, that created him, and as Arcos has now just told us what his plans are is to take over the world and that you know, robots no longer need humanity. The professor, one of his last statements uh, he makes is, um, we aren't what we seem. Human beings will do anything to live. Anything. At 6% of the way into the book, I thought that was a valid um, quote, and I really liked it. That promise that was delivered by that professor, it, was the, it, it never came to fruition. It's, it, was, it gave me that idea that we were going to see humanity do some terrible things in order to survive, and that there would be you know, these, not moments of heroism, but that we would see some of the depravity in humans, and that's what that statement spoke to me about, and I was really looking forward to some of that. Instead, this book was just straight up hero worship throughout the rest of it, and I don't think that it delivered on that, on that promise that came so early in the book. So I've withdrawn it from the quote section. Instead, used it to kind of, uh, uh, kind of describe my uh, disappointment. I guess um, overall, uh, looking at the book, having read the whole thing, I believe that this would be a great movie to watch. But as a book, um, there's just not enough substance to really make it good. If, if this was to be a good book, I think it would need to be either part of a, like a series that is you know much bigger or just you know add another hundred or so pages to it where he could really is- explore some of the concepts that he introduced that I don't think he, he gave enough time or attention to. But as a movie, I think it would be a great you know two hours with a lot of action and you know uh, flashy things on the screen as a book. I'm underwhelmed. Well, you're going to be seeing exactly that, as we mentioned during uh, our previous episode when we were talking about Robopocalypse. Um, filming is supposed to start in 2012 for a 2013 or 14 release. Um, Steven Spielberg is going to be directing it. Yeah, the statement you just made kind of makes me wonder a little bit. The film rights of this were purchased um, a year ago, a year prior to the release of the book, and I wonder what stage that book was in, if it was actually completed when that deal was made or how that may have affected the actual outcome of the book. That's something I'm sure we'll never hear. But <laughs> I mean, now that you said it, you know, when you said it, and you're right, I think it would be great. It would be, uh, you know, kind of a Michael Bayish great adventure transformers type, you know, action movie, but it's not, in my opinion, it's not what the novel promised. So. Yeah, it definitely falls short. Would you like to talk about the obvious parallel we can draw between this and another book? Yeah, we wanted to be fair and not say it from the start. Here's where this book started suffering from the beginning, and I hate to be down on a book the second I crack it open. A couple of years ago, Max Brooks wrote a very, very, very good novel called um, World War Z. Um, The Z stands for zombies, and it was a look back at the zombie apocalypse. And uh, it was vignettes of people that, you know, obviously were, were some of them that were instrumental in overcoming the zombie infestations. Um, and then just to look at some everyday people, and it was done in a series of interviews after the fact. That being said, it uh, wasn't quite as coincidental as this one. It was a very real look. Like, I honestly felt if you could believe in zombies, that, and if you thought that could ever happen, that this would be the documentary book that would come out afterwards that was a look at you know, good guys and bad guys and people that took advantage of the zombie um, uprising. Uh, you know, and it was just very, very good. This was 
it's like someone read World War Z and said, you know, I could do this with robots, but didn't deliver anything near as engaging as uh, as Max did. Yeah, World War Z reads very well as history in a way that, like Livia said, is very, very believable. Robopocalypse doesn't. One of the things I was thinking is, like I said earlier, uh, I felt like it just needed more space to develop, and so the thought occurred to me, to be fair, maybe World War Z was a bigger, longer book, and that's why I felt it was more complete and more compelling and you know a better rounded, well-rounded book. So I went and I looked at World War Z, as we may have mentioned earlier, Robopocalypse comes in at about 334 pages. I looked at World War Z, 342. So we're talking eight more pages, and I think that if you're just going for the quality of content, World War Z's got Robopocalypse beat by a long shot. These coincidences go a little bit deeper as well, just so you don't think we're just kind of picking stuff out of the air because we read another book that we like better. Daniel H. Wilson wrote How to Survive a Robot Uprising, Tips on Defending Yourself Against the Coming Rebellion. Now, he wrote that in 2005, which was two years after Max Brooks wrote The Zombie Survival Guide, Complete Protection from the Living Dead. This may all be very coincidental. Maybe Daniel Wilson never heard of Max Brooks. Um, World War Z was a bestseller. Just getting that out there. But, you know, the chance of him not having heard of it or coming across it, um, probably pretty slim. Now, you know... I guess at some point, you know, you could say that every detective novel is based on Sherlock Holmes or something along those lines. These were just way too close together, you know, for, for that, in my opinion, to be acceptable, to take something that's been done and just change the, the focal point. Yeah, and if you want to be just really, really fair about it, you at least have to acknowledge that there are some striking similarities between the timing, the releases, and the actual stories or the structure of the two books that came out. So uh, <laughs> if you want to not sling the mud, you have to at least acknowledge that it's an incredible, incredible, improbable coincidence that these two um, kind of book releases came out the way they did. Yeah, World War Z, I believe, is currently in production, um, starring Brad Pitt. <laughs> so that would have put it in development, oh, I don't know, right around the time someone thought to buy a novel that hadn't been published that is going to be a movie of the same you know, the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So I guess I was tainted a little bit from the beginning, as I'm sure Rob was, and I hate to go into a review. We really try to do these things, you know, really clean and neat. But, um, you know, knowing that going into it um, probably hurt this book a little bit. Maybe if you haven't read World War Z, maybe you'll find it a little a little more interesting than we did. I just felt like we were, uh, felt like it was the low-rent version of World War Z that we were reading. Yeah, and I guess the reality of it is, yes, we do try to be very fair. And in all fairness... Uh, if you look at it in a vacuum with nothing else around it, it's a decent book um, that needed a little more love. But, you know, we don't live in a vacuum. And this is a world where the zombie books are very much in vogue. And the idea of, of a zombie apocalypse is very close to the robot apocalypse. And there's just no way to divorce those two notions. And so uh, I think that we had to mention the parallels with World War Z in order to be fair. Um, and yeah, it's unfortunate for Robo Apocalypse. I think that for Robo Apocalypse, I think if um, World War Z didn't exist or didn't exist to the uh, extent that it does with its popularity, Robo Apocalypse could be seen through different a different prism, I guess. Well, you know what? Sure. Or look at it this way: don't write it as a historical account. Write it as <laughs> it's happening. Well, but write it as it's happening, and you have a whole different story. 
you know, the second you do it as a historical account after you wrote a book on how to survive the uprising, it it, it comes across as a copy. Had this have been written as a straight through, you know, the journal of Cormac, you know, day one, you know, day 50, day 200, you know, this would have come across a little differently. I don't know how much of that would have changed the story, but at least it would have not screamed, you know, copy. Yeah, it would have separated itself at some point, you know, in some way from that mold or whatever. Yep. It's too bad. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, and, and like you said, all in all, you know what, it was a quick read. Um, there were some really interesting things there. Unfortunately, there were some things that kind of stuck out and we don't want to spoil, but if you do decide to read this book, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when you come across it. I know Rob, when I sent him a text message about, uh, <laughs> I'd gotten to this part, he finished the book a couple days ago, and he said, yeah, I've been waiting for you to get to that part. And <laughs> now, as we're telling you, we're just waiting for you to get to that part, and you'll know when you get there what, what we're talking about. But there are some just kind of coincidences and some things that even stretch the bounds of, uh, you know, of, of reality even if we're talking about a robot uprising, I mean, obviously you have to have some imagination to get into this book and believe it, but there's some things that even stretch that imagination a little bit. Yeah. So when you get to that part of Robopocalypse, uh, tweet at booked podcast, <laughs> I'm ready yeah. to go to a wrap up and give this some stars. Uh, what about you? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I know that we've been kind of down on the book, but it's just, I think there was, a lot of hype around it from what we read and what we saw and it was just built up to be a very epic very very engaging book and uh, i don't think it was fundamentally flawed but uh it was definitely underdeveloped not developed enough to be what i would consider a good read uh it, it has entertaining moments but uh, as a whole you know uh not enough to sustain what i consider to be a good read definitely it's dwarfed by world war z uh, which it copies practically in every way possible. Um, and I say copy in a glib way. I'm not saying that, you know, Wilson set out to make the robot World War Z. That's not what I'm saying, but it, it's just the easiest way to say it. it's It's very, very similar, strikingly similar. So one of the thoughts that I had was either the author or his editors and publishers made some really heavy cuts to a very, very good manuscript, or they published a work that... Um, they rushed out a work that was, in my opinion, unfinished. Again, that's not to say there, that there's no parts that are entertaining. I think a lot of it had promise, and there was some stuff that really was uh, it caught my interest and got me excited. Again, just underdeveloped. So overall, I'm giving it two stars. I'm not going to spend a lot of time echoing the things that Rob said. I think you guys have kind of got the gist of it here. Um, this is I'm going to read this to you, though, um, which will further kind of my thoughts or further what I've been trying to say at the end of the synopsis on goodreads i'm going to read you just the last line of this it says and an entertaining and engaging thriller unlike anything else written in years <laughs> so i'm going to once again call shenanigans on uh on that particular statement yeah the story had some really interesting things going for it there were some parts and some characters that had they have been a little more developed um really would have would have stayed with me for a long time i think um, there's a robot character in there that's fantastic. We just didn't spend enough time with him or her, whatever a robot is with it. <laughs> um, and then there were some stretches of the imagination, even in a sci-fi book. I let's say I learned a lot. I learned a little bit. Some of it was very interesting um, in how to avoid <laughs> being being killed by robots that have gone haywire. But all in all, the story lacked a little bit. Rob's right. This could have something to do with movie rights being published. Who knows what type of editing process this went through. And I'm not going to fault 
um, Daniel Wilson very much for for some of those things. I think that uh, this is his first nonfiction book. This book is probably uh, going to end up on the bestseller list at some point, uh, high up on the bestseller list at some point um, this summer. Um, and it's going to make a ton of money as a movie. And as a movie, I'll be honest with you, I will probably go see it because I think that it would be a very, very good movie. Right now, it's ranked at uh, number 65 in books at Amazon. It's the number nine book in science fiction. So it's moving up the chart pretty quickly. It's been out for, well, at the time of this recording, 10 days, nine, no, actually seven days at the time of this recording. And I think we're going to see it climb a lot higher on those lists. But yeah, I'm with Rob. I'm going to give it a two. Let me remind you, I don't think we've given out a two on here. A two um, on our scale, which we use the Goodreads scale, is uh, it was okay. It was okay. I wouldn't rush out to get it. Um, who should be reading this book? Um, only read this book if you haven't read World War Z. And uh, it, it almost didn't seem science fiction-y. And, like, I've read some science fiction. I'm not a huge fan of sci-fi. But it almost didn't even seem science fiction-y enough to call it science fiction. I think this falls more in the general fiction section. It's a quick read if you're looking for something to pass the time and, and kind of a, a totally different look on than what most people read. If you haven't read any sci-fi or any zombie stuff, you know, zombie apocalypse stuff, maybe this is the book for you. But uh, yeah, I'm going to echo Rob on that and, and call it two stars. You, uh, I just want to call out one minor error. You actually said it's a nonfiction book and it's fiction. Uh, sorry about that. I actually looking at the page of his nonfiction works, and I think that I got that backwards. He has published several nonfiction works, including Where Is My Jetpack, the book we mentioned earlier, and this is his first fiction work. Okay. I didn't have any word snobbing to do with this. No specific instances of word snobbing, but I did have one observation that um, I can't fault Wilson too greatly for because I can't imagine a person that wouldn't at least run up against this challenge. But because this book is written from perspectives around the world, uh, obviously it comes into a bunch of very different cultures. And I felt that in a lot of situations, some of the regional slang and terminology and just the way that people spoke felt very forced. Um, it was obvious that he was much more comfortable writing about the scenes in Tokyo, at least from my the way I perceive it, than um, the parts that took place in the rural parts of the United States. So, again, that's just a function of trying to write from a ton of different perspectives and cultures that you may not be familiar with, but that was something that I did feel when I was reading it that a lot of that slang and stuff was just it felt too forced I have no word snobs because I'm just not that kind of guy <laughs> leave the snobbing to me that's right alright so uh, let's I don't know how long we have to spend on this let's do our read this not that um, Rob what do you have <laughs> I've got exactly one book to say read this not that too if you're looking for a book that's written as a historical retrospective about a war in in this kind of like fictional uh, situation, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to beat around the bush. Just read World War Z and said it's better written, more well-developed, and uh, uh, it's just much more believable and compelling than Robopocalypse. All right, and since Rob took the very obvious choice, I'm going to go with a movie you should watch instead of reading this book, Bicentennial Man with Robin Williams much better robot story okay that's quick and uh quick and easy you got any shout outs you want to do on this episode yeah i do this one is uh i don't know it's kind of a weird shout out uh it's uh, a book that came out 
actually in September of last year that I read, and it was probably the best book I read last year, maybe at least a tie for best book I read last year. But I was in Target the other day and happened to see it's out in paperback. So uh, I'm going to do a shout-out for Emma Donahue, who wrote uh, Room, a novel. Uh, real quick on what it's about. It's a, a story about a woman who's been abducted and then births a child in this converted garage, and it covers... Um, some time in their life of her and her child that are kept as prisoners in this one room. And the story is told through the eyes of a five-year-old who is the child. Um, probably one of the most touching books I've read in a few years, um, really well written, gives us another look at things as adults that we don't think about through the eyes of a five-year-old child. So I know it was on a lot of bestseller lists. It was probably on the Oprah Book Club. Um, but if you haven't read it, and you're looking for something uh, kind of dark and dreary, but with some some redeeming moments in there. Probably one of the most emotionally charged books I've read in a really long time. So again, that's Emma Donahue, and the novel is called Room. Okay, and another thing I'd like to mention really quickly is a website we came across recently called Thunderdome, although the actual website is www.thunderdome, T-H-U-N-D-A-D-O-M-E.com. The way we came how, across... How did you, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Rob. How, how do you pronounce that again? Oh, it's Thunderdome. Thunderdome. <laughs> the <laughs> the way we came across it is uh, after we had done the review of Stranger Will by Caleb Ross recently, uh, Book's own Matt Damon, Mlaz Corbier, had mentioned that he had done a review of Stranger Will on Thunderdome and uh, pointed us to it. And so we checked it out, poked around a little bit, and it's a really, really interesting website. Yeah, it really is a terrific site. It features um, not only short stories, but um, poetry and nonfiction and different visual arts. Basically, they'll take submissions, it looks like, of just about anything. One of the really cool things about it, and it's something we don't talk about a lot on the show, is that we both really like short fiction stories. One of the reasons we don't talk a lot about them is of kind of the format we have. You know, we spend a little bit of time talking about the, the books that we've reviewed, and we just don't feel that a lot of times in a short story, we don't want to spend more time talking about it than it takes you to read the story. So Axel Tayari's A Light to Star by was fantastic, you know, but we were able to fit it into our interlude episode in a quick, you know, 10-minute you know, talk about it. But the great thing about a site like this in Rotten Leaves, which we mentioned last week, uh, is that they're really quick reads written by very talented writers and it's something you can enjoy with your sandwich over lunch it's free and then you know you can get turned on to a really great author that way you know by reading some of the shorts and then seeking them out for like their full-length fiction yeah so one thing that i think we're going to try to do more in the future is uh in addition to books that we tell you that we're reading and suggestions that we make also try to to throw you you know a new website or 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 something that features more short fiction that you can uh, we, you know, just to weave in something different as we talk about books as well. It's nice to get a little shot of short fiction every now and then. And it's nice for anybody who listens who happens to be a writer as well to know maybe of another place that they could submit to if they've got some work that they're trying to find a place for. Yeah, Thunderdome is currently open for submissions all the time, it appears. So there's some links on there. Um, you'll probably catch a link to this on our, uh, on our own website on bookpodcast.com. And by the way, I did read a couple of the reviews that Mlaz wrote, and uh, he is quite the writer there. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we, we do a great job of talking very casually about books, but if you want uh, something a little more, I'm trying to think of the best word for it, maybe theatric, or um, just, uh, I don't know, more well-stated and, and, I don't know, just more artistic. Uh, like He did a review of Stranger Will that 
was, I mean, it read like a story itself, and it was very, very well written. So our Matt Damon, Mr. Melanes Corbier, has got some chops when it comes to writing those uh, review slash interview things he does. All right, so that being said, take a few minutes, go to thunderdome.com. <laughs> Again, find a link on our website. Um, and check out uh, Michael Paul Gonzalez is the um, editor and I'm assuming creator of the site. And uh, nice job, Mr. Gonzalez. You have a very, very nice website. Okay. And uh, now for the book that we're reading for our next review. It's uh, Before I Go to Sleep by S.J. Watson. A little bit about the book. Uh, every day, Christine wakes up not knowing where she is. Her memories disappear every time she falls asleep. Her husband, Ben, is a stranger to her, and he's obligated to explain their life together on a daily basis, all the result of a mysterious accident that made Christine an amnesiac. With the encouragement of her doctor, Christine starts a journal to help jog her memory every day. So that's the basic premise of the book, and then the twist is that one day she wakes up, and in her journal she sees she's written the words, Don't Trust Ben, and Ben being her husband, she's in the position where she doesn't know if she can trust her husband, and that leads to her not knowing if she can trust herself. And uh, it's just this kind of a thriller of of, uh, of her not having memories of what's going on and not knowing who to trust. Yeah, this book came out um, in mid-June. It actually came out today when we're recording this. So, uh, But early reviews are really good for it. And uh, kind of interesting, I mentioned this as a point of interest, it's S.J. Watson's first novel, um, but from his uh, Amazon page, it says, In 2009, Watson was accepted into the first Faber Academy Writing a Novel course, a rigorous, a rigorous and selective program that covers all aspects of the novel writing process. Before I Go to Sleep is the result. So this is his um, this is his debut novel, and he accredits all to this uh, this writing a novel course he took. So I'm kind of excited to read this and see what, uh, what a writing a novel course can do for you. <laughs> Before we sign off for this episode, I just want to let you know how to get a hold of us really quick, as always. Uh, you can get us on Twitter, at Booked Podcast. You can go to our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash bookedpodcast. Go to our website, bookedpodcast.com, and you can email us at bookedpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, and uh, anywhere uh, uh, of the sites I mentioned so far, go in, leave us a comment let us know what you like what you don't like what you think could be done differently or you know just drop a friendly hello that's always welcome yeah call us out on uh on robopocalypse if you've read it and think differently we would love to hear about it uh best way to do that is probably on our facebook page just because we can kind of keep a longer uh longer conversation going there than on twitter so i think that wraps it up for another episode of booked thank you so much for listening um i'm livia snedden and i'm rob olson keep reading Mr. Roboto, Domo, what he got to Mr. Roboto?